Hi, I'm JJ McQuarrie. And I'm Kevin Kozer. And we host Talking Who to You, a podcast dedicated to the Big Finish audio adventures of Doctor Who. Each week, we look at a different Doctor Who story from Big Finish and share what we love and what we don't. We're looking at everything from the very first stories to David Tennant's most recent adventures, and we hope that you'll join us. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you find podcasts. So give us a listen. And remember, keep talking who. I just, I was just realizing this is the 29th uh, story. It is. Why is that important? Is that your age? No, it's (laughs) just like, I can't believe it's been 29. It's been 29. If, if 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 you feel like you're getting tired of this, there's a reason why. And I'm not. It, no, I'm not. It just it doesn't. That's yeah. Well, you're the most frequent guest after Tony, right? Yes. Well, probably you and me too. No, you you had months head start on me, and I've only done. One. Yeah, I guess that we did do like four or five with Sheena. I think yes. I've only done like one without you, haven't I? I think so. You did one with Sheena, and you did one with Jenny. I didn't. I only did one with Sheena ever, and you were there. Oh, you were there. Yeah, it was at Sheena's house. That's right. And then you were with uh, with Jenny. Yeah, I did one with you and Jenny. I was the only one I've done without Dalton. Yeah, because Jenny has done it, I think. Well, I did a couple with Jenny, but I think you went over to Jenny's place with us, didn't you, the first time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was the one, but there was the one without. So, um, I'm first, you were second, but you're third. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, you've you've done a good number. Yeah, exactly. So if he takes vacation a few more times, he'll be neck and neck. <laughs> I break my foot again. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the brawny task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and today we have an equally brawny three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. There was also our intermediate-level casual fan, who has seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's the worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Well, I like to keep it casual. Hello. Okay. And finally, there's our semi-novice fan, one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we're doing for this podcast, and this time around, it's the wise and witty Allison Fitch-Seyfried. Hello, Allison. The resident Brawny Broad. <laughs> If you're wondering why I use that one, it's because I've used powerful before, apparently, and brawny was the only adjective. This adjective game is getting insane. <laughs> we only have two in English. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful and brawny, yeah, and then we ran out. We ran out already. Before we get to talking about the book, please remember our new Patreon page, available at patreon.com forward slash dwtargetbc. Depending on the amount you give per month, you will receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not, not a Target book. <laughs> we know you all have them, nope. except for one person. I'll talk about him in a minute. This is interesting. <laughs> As a gift for supporting us, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. As usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lamy, Rick Taylor, and Toby Bengelsdorf. We'd also like to say a special thank you to Ron Scheiding 
who has designed a new set of banners and title cards for us featuring the second Doctor. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Ron. And Ron has been sweet enough to work for Target Books because he's actually trying to fill out his collection. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's brilliant. In fact, if you will, go to SoundCloud, go to our Facebook page, see the banners. Beautiful work. This time, we're discussing Troughton's first outing as the Doctor in John Peel's novelization of the script by our old friend David Whitaker entitled Power of the Daleks. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who Power of the Daleks, adapted by John Peel from the David Whitaker script that aired from 11.566 to 12.11.66, published by Virgin Books in 1996. As of this recording in April 2018, this title is currently out of print, 256 pages. A little bit of history about this one, though there's actually a lot to say about it, so it's a lot of history. First of all, we have our first new Doctor in the form of Patrick Troughton. Here, here. Yes, indeed. Who was born in 1920, yay, died in 1987. Aww. By the time he was cast to replace William Hartnell, Troughton was already a very well-known actor who'd been working on stage and film and on TV um, since his early 20s, with only World War II forcing him to take a break when he joined the Royal Navy. Wow. He was in Olivier's version of Hamlet. That's one of his first film roles. He was the first actor to play Robin Hood on British television. And if you were to name a television show from that era, he probably appeared on it because he was doing a lot of uh, television at that time. The thing is, he didn't appear on Doctor Who. He almost did. Uh, He was approached to play Johnny Ringo in The uh, Gunfighters, but he turned it down. And it ended up being played by Lawrence Payne, whom Troughton would work with in Doctor Who much later on in 1985 in The Two Doctors. American audiences may know him best from his outing as the doomed Father Brennan in The Omen. I don't know if either of you has ever seen the original version of The Omen. I'm familiar with his appearance, yes. Yeah, so you you know what happens to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert, he dies. He will not allow the child to be born. He will kill it while it slumbers in the womb. What in God's name are you talking about? Your son, Mr. Thorne, the son of the devil. He will kill the unborn child, then he will kill your wife. And when he is certain to inherit all that is yours, then, Mr. Thorne, he will kill you. That's enough. And with your wealth and power, he will establish his counterfeit kingdom here on Earth, receiving his power directly from Satan. I never want to see you again. You'll see me in hell, Mr. Thorne. There we will share out our sentence. Uh, all I know is Jerry Goldsmith wrote the theme. I yes, think. he did. Suffice it to say, the producers made a really good choice in their casting because from the time Troughton comes on screen, he's every bit the doctor that he will play over the next three years. He's incredibly consistent. <laughs> and what season are we in now? Five? Four? In, oh, God, no. We're in season three still. Okay. Yeah. No, wait, no, season four. Season four. Okay. We're beginning season four. four. Okay. Yeah, this is the second story in season four. Here's the first strange thing about this story. Although the entire six-part story does not exist, except for those few 8mm clips from various fans, the entire story has since been animated and is now available on Blu-ray and on DVD, both in black and white and in color. In fact, I've got the uh, color episodes here on this computer. I'll show you one uh, after we're done. Even before that happened, though, Fans knew that this story was something special mainly from two sources. They had two versions of a commercially released audio of the story, and they had John Peel's book. But what really makes it special is our old friend David Whitaker. 
Whitaker, as you remember, was the first script editor on Doctor Who, as well as the person who wrote the first two novelizations ever, The Daleks and The Crusaders. We go into some detail about his life in both episodes 2 and 14 of our podcast, by the way. But the main thing you need to know at this point is that, apart from their creator, Terry Nation, Whitaker was arguably the author most familiar with the Daleks. Power is the first Dalek story produced without input from Terry Nation, and it presents the Daleks for the first time as a truly crafty and cunning race of villains. He'd do this again in Evil of the Daleks, which is also a Troughton story, which we'll be getting to in a few months. The other special thing about this book is John Peel, whose works we've already discussed in episodes 16 and 20. I did an interview with uh, Peel last week, so I refer you to that if you want to hear more about his biography and how he became Target's point man for Dalek books, but that's the main thing you should remember. Mainly because... He was willing to write them at the terms that Terry Nation's lawyer dictated, and because he was genuinely enthusiastic about the Daleks. You may also notice that this book does not have the Target imprint. Here is the book. By the time this book was published in 1996, they had already been absorbed by Virgin Publishing, and this was one of the last four actual novelizations to be published. As such, and because his earlier long-form books had done so well, Peel was given carte blanche to write as much as he wanted to, and thus we get a lot more than what was on screen, including one character who didn't even appear in the original. So where is this on the publishing timeline with the plotters, which we read a few months ago? Plotters, oh, plotters, I, I'm trying to remember if plotters is 96 or 98. Okay, but they're around the same time, because 96 yeah. is, I think, by far the most... Recent. recent novelization we've read of an episode, yes. but of course the the plotters was the different one that was not based on an episode. Exactly. In fact, Evil is going to be the furthest, and because I think he did that either the next year or in 98. Well, it definitely felt a lot more modern than a lot of them we've read. Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, definitely that. Yeah. Um, a lot going on in this book, so let's turn to the blurb. To read it? I would love to read this blur because it's amazing. The stranger drew himself up to his full height. I am the doctor, he announced. Disoriented after his regeneration, the doctor takes the TARDIS to the Earth colony Vulcan. Ben and Polly are disturbed. The doctor isn't the man he used to be. The doctor, too, is worried. The colonists have found the remains of two Daleks, which they plan to revive. Once revived, the Daleks claim that they are content to serve humanity. Can it really be true? Or do they have their own, more sinister plans? Well, don't be... Don't be stupid. We know <laughs> right. the answer to that Um, yeah. We know what's coming. We do indeed. <clears throat> so, first impressions. Allison, you said that this struck you as much more modern. What did you mean by that? Mm, well... The political aspect of the story is reasonably timeless for the last hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked the device of exp- of, ben and, of exploring Ben and Polly trying to figure out whether or not this really is the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Especially Ben, because Polly accepts pretty early on that she thinks this is probably the Doctor and Ben has more doubts. By having the Doctor, in plain view of Ben and Polly, pretend to be the Examiner... Yeah. But he's an imposter of a benevolent sort. He's pretending to be the examiner 
so that he can you know, solve the mystery and save the day in a way that seemed very modern to me because it seemed very much, it, it made me think of uh, what was done really often, especially with the David Tennant version oh, yeah. of The Doctor. Mm -hmm. And it was the first one of the novelizations I've read mm -hmm. uh, that, that carried that theme so heavily. And then also we have the Daleks who are essentially pretending to be stupid in a way, pretending to be servile, pretending to be a slave species, for and they are being duplicitous for uh, negative reasons. Yes. So it, I thought it was a nice framing, or a nice device for Ben and Polly to figure out if this is a benevolent impost, uh, imposter, an imposter who's killed the doctor that they know, killed the Hartnell doctor, mm -hmm. or really is the doctor. So I thought right. that was a really nice way to explore that issue while only having them talk about it intermittently throughout the story. Okay, Dalton? I, I agree with you kind of on the, the modern bit and the, the thing with the Daleks. I was confused about how they didn't realize it was the Doctor. He transitioned, changed in front of their face. Well, in the version we got. In this, right? Yeah, well, how does Peel write that moment? He... I thought in a lovely way. When, yeah. he, used, when he talks about the, uh, the flashing lights, I thought it was... Especially nice way to I remember it. there being a part where he like cover he, he kind of like covers himself almost with like death shroud in a way, mm -hmm. and then when he comes out from under I thought there that, was some sort of yeah, I'm 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 don't know whether I'm misremembering Jerry Davis's take on it because he was in a pod of some sort. I think it was at the end of the last book. Tenth it was Planet. that in Tenth Planet. It was that version. In this That's one, it. it's more he closer to the actual. Uh, televised version yeah and 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 ben and polly are there watching it kind of happen and mm -hmm. so that's where i'm like he you saw him go under the sheet and then come out from under the sheet as something and someone else yes how are you confused about who this is well, i mean think about how rose tyler reacted because she also witnessed the 10th doctor's regeneration or rather the ninth doctor's regeneration into the 10th and she thought it was a trans mat or that he'd been body swapped with somebody. Maybe. Well, and they've specifically been dealing with a species that um, deals freely in body parts sure. and artificial body parts. And they're wondering if it's somehow a, a trick. They, they sort of hustled off with the doctor in a big hurry. And maybe they just didn't notice that this is perhaps some harvested doctor parts and some other parts. <laughs> I mean, it does make sense in the context yeah. that they don't know what's going on, but him being a new version of the same doctor is one of many sinister possibilities. Yeah, True. no, but I, I'm still, you know, again, they were there. You know, they were there. Well, I know for a fact that that's the reason why Rose has that moment when you get the tenant regeneration yeah. because the audience needs to be reintroduced to the concept to the of idea of the the transformation who are you on the doctor no. where is he where's the doctor what have you done to him you saw me I, I changed right in front of you i saw him sort of explode and then you replaced him like a, a teleport or a a transnet or a body swap or something. You're not fooling me. I've seen all sorts of things. Nanogenes, Gelf, Slovene. Oh my God, are you Slovene? I'm not a Slovene. Send him back. 
I'm warning you. Send the doctor back right now. Rose, it's me. It's honestly, it's me. I, I mean, I agree. It does make sense. They just dealt with the Cybermen and all of that. But again, it's, they're right there. It's actually kind of explicit here in uh, second chapter. Ben wondered in sudden terror if the Doctor was going to crumble and fall apart like Christopher Lee did in those Dracula films or like the Cybermen had done. He forced himself to watch, to be strong for Polly's sake. Um, the silver hair started to curl up and vanish. The cloak that covered the Doctor shifted, though the Doctor was obviously neither conscious nor moving. They've just seen a lot of strange and macabre technology. So it does make sense that... They don't accept the first explanation offered by the transformed individual. Right. And that they actually might think that this is something to do with the Cybermen because John Peel has definitely devoted that prologue to the wrapping up of the 10th planet. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I was talking to you a little bit before um, recording. I... This is kind of like my first introduction to Troughton as uh, the second Doctor, and I, I'm here for it. I love it. He, he's he's fun. It's a good shift from Hartnell being a little more uh, cold and a little more uh, off-putting. Uh, Troughton, doc- the second Doctor, is he's he's goofy. He's a clown. He he. He's charming in a different way. The first Doctor was charming, but not as it's just, it's different. It's different. And so that was refreshing to me, especially in a story where so many people die. <laughs> so oh, many no. people die in this book. Um, and so, yeah, it just, uh, I feel like it was a really good introduction, though. It shows kind of, um, like like you said earlier, Troughton comes on the screen as this doctor. And so I'm really excited to see kind of how that progresses um in the stories um and keeping keeping with that kind of goofiness and that aloofness you'll probably appreciate the nickname given to him by fans they tend to refer to him as the cosmic hobo Hmm. (laughs) yes and the 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 picture on the front definitely i see that so um yeah i'm i'm excited to see where this goes kind of works with the features of the face more the heavy features Mm -hmm. rather than the more patrician ones yeah the interesting thing about that scene is that it plays out almost as it does on screen except for one thing and I did ask Peel about this and um, um, Troughton says something about well the doctor says something about I left my home planet 750 years ago that does not occur on screen and it actually runs completely counter to a line we'll get from Troughton's doctor in about uh, five months where he literally gives his age for the first time Peel's answer to this was that the Hartnell doctor had said it at one point about 750 years and that he's going on that and the original idea of the of the regeneration not being so much a regeneration as we know it but a rejuvenation that Troughton's supposed to literally be a younger version of the Hartnell doctor I've never bought into that theory sorry John I've never <laughs> bought into that theory Okay. Sets up a good joke later on. Creative differences. He tells Ben, oh, I feel like a man a tenth my age. And Ben says, you said you were 750. That's not very impressive. <laughs> feel 75. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and again, that joke obviously is not on screen either. But it's one of many additions. It's one of the few additions for, for me that doesn't work. The rest of them, especially the chapter with the... um. 
the prologue with the Cybermen, I just want to point out some of the uh, continuity references that y'all will not have gotten because we haven't read any of the books yet. So all these people that are being name-checked, you won't know them. You will eventually. You'll know each and every one of them because they talk about Unit. They talk about a Lieutenant Benton. They talk about Allison Williams, who is from Remembrance of the Daleks, which is a story in 1988. So it's going to be a long while before we get to that novelization. And everyone's favorite companion, Sarah Jane Smith. I know the name. And well, you've seen this episode with her, haven't you, in the new series? Well, yeah, I I know the few reference. I'm not familiar with her her younger self, I should say. This is still her younger Um, self, obviously. Yeah, so I'm familiar with Unit because of the newer series, and I'm familiar with Sarah Jane, but I don't know any. Same thing. I hadn't heard of Allison Williams, so I just visualized, you know, the actor. Um, (laughs) yeah but those are those are some pretty big names to drop so even in my ignorance i was familiar with those so definitely continuity references galore which is fine in fact i I love it when when peel does that when he brings in the future of the series into the current story yeah there were references to some of the other stories we've read as well um they talk uh did they mention the censorites at one point I think they might have done. I know um, that um, the chase is definitely the chase is there. Um, I'm trying to remember. There were a cu- there were a couple of them kind of in the same chapter, and I'm trying to find where it was at. But. And I expected this to be structured more like the chase. I thought it was going to be, you know, Daleks chasing people around, people chasing the Daleks around, right. etc. And it was actually much different than I expected. And it was set all on one planet and sort of one continual political story. Mm-hmm. And definitely creepier. For, for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've gotten, we've now had what? We've had our first base under siege story, and this is kind of like it, but it's from the inside out. Yeah. The new series is going to toy with that idea with um, the Matt Smith story, Victory of the Daleks. The difference there is the Daleks are pretending to be helping in World War II Britain because apparently they're waiting for the Doctor to arrive and they want him to identify them as Daleks so that they could build a new paradigm of Daleks, which, which I call the smart car Daleks because they're about the size of it and they're in multicolors. They're just awful. And they, don't, they haven't used them since, thank God. But um, that same thing of I am your servant. Yeah, yeah, which is just creepy. As yeah, fun. that was yeah. that was a, a much different take on the Daleks than I'm familiar with. So mm-hmm. that was really creepy. And yeah. at times it was it was hard to tell if they were at a disadvantage, so they were going along with it, mm-hmm. and kind of where it shifted to them being in a position of power, yeah. as opposed to being, you know. Yeah, the um, thing that I find myself wishing is that Peel had kept that going a bit longer so that you weren't sure whether the Daleks were actually being sincere or not. But that, that gaffe was blown pretty yeah. early on. Oh, and by 1996, versus when it was originally aired, yeah, we've got a pretty good idea. Yeah, exactly. But you don't know... Yeah, you don't know what, but you don't know whether the death of Resno is the Dalek acting on instinct, which actually yeah. is. Or the Doctor being, well, the Dalek just being evil. Which it, of course, is. Yeah. I mean, either way. Either way, it, it did what it was supposed to do. <laughs> Killing <laughs> machine. Indeed. Alright, so, what else? There's just a lot to work with, including 
the colony. We had a huge cast of characters in this one. Which yes. was a lot easier to keep up with than I expected. Really? I had the opposite problem. Okay, well we were reading <laughs> new character after new character. I thought, oh lord, this is going to be hard to keep up with. But I actually thought it was pretty easy to recall them each in their position right. and a basic physical description that was enough. They have characterization for one thing. Yeah. That's part of it. There was that. Sure. Yeah. Um, well in that case, let me just quiz y'all see if you can guess. We were not told. It was already homework. We were not told. No, no, no. <laughs> this this is the examination. Not, not, I know it's April. Not but... <laughs> on the characters' names, but I told you at the outset that there's a character in this book that did not appear in the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that has a very big part in the plot. Who would you say that character is? I'd say it was, was it Fane, the medic? Okay, why would you say that? Because she sort of sympathetically bridges... Two position, the two political positions. Okay, all right. How about you, though? And she, she, I'm in sorry, terms of the plot, she, yeah. she makes a lot of things happen smoothly that I can see, perhaps seeming quite disjointed on, um, on screen. I've already looked through the notes, so I know who it is. But um, just yeah, for, through deduction and kind of how the characters interact and play out, I would say Thane as well. And yeah, that it is, is Thane. Oh, it is. God, yeah. okay. Um, got it. I feel like the world's greatest detective. Yeah, I actually no, really did guess. No. <laughs> and for just the reasons that you yeah, said. Yeah, it makes total sense why that is a new character. Yeah, she adds so much to this book. I mean, having that plot line along, it's kind of a surprise to find out that she's not on screen. Um, when I interviewed him about it, he said that he had specifically added that character because he had just had a fight with an editor over having a mother character in one of his own books that was too evil. Hmm. Ah. And the editor insisted that he balance it out with a good female character. And he looked at this one, he, he, he was reading it, and he said, Jan Lee. Yep. Jan Lee is the, is the bitch queen. We need something to balance this out. Because she's a great character, but she's also, apart from Polly, the only female character in the story that's, yeah. Well, we also don't have a history in this era of reading about or seeing on screen female characters who are not explicitly told are either teenagers or hot or both. Right. So that also made her stand out a bit. Yeah. But also she's a little more fully, fully realized than the rest of the characters who appear just for this novel and it makes sense that he had a little more freedom to do with the character oh, he yeah. wanted to yeah i i love her personality and yeah. it's kind of a shame when she ends up dying but of course she's going to because daleks 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 everywhere yeah <laughs> did, uh, yeah did, i don't think any of the the only ones who survive are quinn, quinn yeah and and Quinn, I think that's I don't it. think anyone else survived. No I mean, even Lestershin got killed yeah. at the end. Yeah, the poor cast. Yeah, um, yeah. This was a cast of red shirts. They were all doomed to die. Yeah. yeah, and oh, maybe I should show you that scene from the animated version. There is a scene in episode six where you just get this very moody music, and it's panning over the dead bodies mm-hmm. of the colonists, and it ends up with Janley. And you actually feel a moment of sympathy for her, kind of like the way you feel that moment of sympathy yeah. in the book when you get her last thoughts. I am. I would be. I'm very interested to see how this would have been portrayed on screen. Mm-hmm. Originally, oh, it's, amazing. Yeah. it's amazing because just the sheer amount of death is so uncharacteristic. Yeah, and very much like atypical mm-hmm. of Doctor Who. So 
Yeah. Well, at least of that era, I should say. It is weird, isn't it? Because suddenly we have higher body counts. Yeah, it's like like the stakes are really raised. We've had dystopic futures before. That's true, but um, but But there weren't as high a body. There weren't high body counts, I guess, in the story. Mm -hmm. We were told they'd already happened, or they were going to happen. But actual descriptions of pools of blood. Yeah, yeah, I did not see that coming. The the descriptions of the screaming and the groaning and moaning and all that was so much more Mm -hmm. uh, gruesome and kind of horrific and no. really makes you feel the threat of like oh my god yeah well, like the these start... people have no idea what they got themselves into right. no you're not going to see the pools of blood obviously no i mean the bodies is all you're going to see but you will see the carnage yeah. which is impressive for that era of doctor who they rarely show just the sheer um, what's the word I'm looking for? The sheer human cost of this going on. Well, which is how to do what's basically an industrial revolution story. Yeah. Which is what Alien is as well, mm-hmm. where you contrast the mechanization of the system, the coldness of the system, to what it actually does to humans, what it does to bodies and does to the physical. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's another weird addition to this, but it, it's one that works. Um, IMC, being the um, yeah. company behind this, IMC is introduced in the Pertwee story. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Peel kind of retrofitting something in, and it actually kind of works, because you think, well, this could just be a, a human colony, but it also could be a business-run colony in much the same way as I found out just the other day that the first colonies in America were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This they, is what's different between the British Empire and the Spanish Empire. Yeah. Is basically, yeah, the especially with Elizabeth I granting patents mm-hmm. instead of just sending a colony that's priests and families and soldiers and all of this, he has an authorization to, yeah, yeah, go fish, make money, you're authorized to do so. Mm-hmm. Call us over when you have things established, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, my, uh, my own ancestors come from the Virginia City colony, and it's not as old as Jamestown, but it's right up there. But that's one of the commercial colonies. It's the conquest of India is initially private armies. Yes. Then the actual empire follows. Exactly. But that's a new addition which is actually really useful and it makes sense of everything going on, including my my favorite bit of retroactive fixing of something in the story, the goddamn bulletin board. <laughs> yes. I like yes. that. Uh, I Wait, love it. So go back slightly. This is a big twist in the book have you noticed that there are they don't have a flag i know this is a little free <laughs> the classy eddie is routine but that's actually kind of a big moment mm-hmm. when when our when our heroes realize that something's a little off here that there aren't any national symbols that's mm-hmm. not in the original episodes so nope. not in the script not at all no it never comes up hmm. mainly because well it's a six-parter, but it's a six-parter that's pretty densely packed with plot. There's a lot to do in this story. Yeah. You've got to establish a new doctor, reintroduce the Daleks in a way that people are... I mean, they haven't gotten a chance to not be sick of them because Dalek Master Plan is still in everybody's memory. Yeah. You have to introduce all of these new characters that you're going to kill off later. Exactly. <laughs> um, you have to have Line them up been probably confused <laughs> about whether the doctor is the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah. Uh, it also, the, the IMC thing reminded me kind of just like uh, corporate bureaucracy and how mm-hmm. just nothing ever gets done. Yes. Ever. Mm-hmm. It's just the endless amounts of red tape and stupidity and 
and just uh, <laughs> dog eat dog bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought it was a great moment when they realized there are no flags, and then later how primitive a lot of the technology is yes. relative to what sort of a setup it is. You know, their their communications being so primitive, and all sort of creature comforts being primitive, and then we're told mm. it's because of budget. Yeah. Which is basically what you know, brought us, you know, the Deepwater Horizon disaster <laughs> right. and other items, I mean, other fun disasters like right. that. I mean, in 1966, it would have just been, oh, yeah, bulletin board colony makes yeah. sense. Even yeah. if it is the year 2000 or 2015 or 2030 or whenever this story it's, takes place. It was a nice way of modernizing it for the late 90s. Yeah, absolutely. And I adore touches like that. Um, hmm. We need to talk about the other characters, too. Such as Janley, because Janley, good lord. I liked the idea <laughs> Yes. at the very beginning. I liked the concept that, well, the description was incredibly tiresome, but might have kind of worked for me, because we're told how she's beautiful, gorgeous. There are no, you know, has this perfect body, but there are no specific descriptions other than the hair. Yeah. And I thought maybe that was a comment on how she's just... How all these men who were admiring and desiring her just project on her whatever they, they find desirable. Like Helen of Troy. But I I did like what I thought they were building towards, that she doesn't care about any of them because she's interested in science. Yeah. She's not noticing any of them, that there is this, the irony that she's considered this sexual and romantic object of desire. Mm-hmm. And she's not... You know, all of these men are wondering if she's kind of making a pass, kind of interested, and she's not thinking about them at all. Right. I guess that does turn out to be true in a way. She's not interested in science. She's interested in world conquest. Yes. <laughs> she's just a lot more aware of their attentions than we are initially led to believe. Yeah. But I, I did like the initial buildup of her being completely oblivious, and if she hadn't been oblivious, she wouldn't have cared at all. Right. They go more conventional route with saying that she's just using her attractiveness as a tool, but I liked the idea that she just wouldn't notice and if she hadn't, she wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and either interpretation works and, until we're told otherwise, yeah. Um, it's fascinating that she works just as well on the page as she does on screen because she she's really terrifying on screen a couple times. Especially uh, the scene where she volunteers to let the Dalek try to shoot her. Yeah. 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 And we find out later, oh, the Daleks aren't under their control at that Not point. Not one just, bit. <laughs> no. So she's really taken her life into her hands at that point. And she'll end up dying that exact same way later. But my impression is that she's on to it a lot earlier than the rest of them are. And yeah. just doesn't care because she thinks she can stay ahead of it. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the cryptocurrency that kind of blew up a couple of months ago. Bitcoin? Not no one of the the hangers on. Oh, one oh, of the oh. dozens of other ones. It was so obviously a fraud and a scam from its very inception about a year and a half ago. But people who were buying into or basically seeing on message boards, yeah, I know it's a scam, but I'm going to get in on the ground floor and get out in time. And of right. course, very few of them actually did. <laughs> it feels like she's doing that. Yeah, she knows they can't be controlled. But she thinks she can ride it a little further than she actually can. But her calculation's not that far off. No, not at all. She almost had it. No. Of course, what but she didn't quite. know was that, yeah. Well, and she even thinks in a way that even if they are more powerful than they're letting on, that she can get in good with them. And maybe they won't kill me. Yeah. Maybe I can 
not woo them, but maybe I can show them that I can help them get what they want. Oh, God. Can yeah. you imagine that scene, Janley trying to woo a dollar? Isn't that mention of it, her, uh, her stroking, stroking the, the yeah, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, woman, you have no idea what you're t- you're playing with there. There's yeah. a scene like this in recent, in, in the new series Battlestar Galactica, where yes. Baltar is trying to explain to one of the Centurions mm-hmm. why he needs to participate in a communistic <laughs> uprising yes. against his master. The Centurion just stands there, literally made of metal, <laughs> looking at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not effective. But he's completely, yes, he's completely disoriented because he's used to being able to emotionally manipulate. Yes, and yet the Centurions, when they meet, um... By the way, those of you who have not watched Star Galactica, the new series, I'm about to spoil a major thing, so turn, you can go forward a bit. I was fussed at on Twitter for spoiling something for the new Netflix Iliad. For crying out loud, That's it has been list. out for 2,800 oh, years. Ellen so. Ty is a Cylon. There we go. <laughs> When Ellen Ty first <laughs> regenerates, if you will, into a new Cylon body, new human Cylon body, and the Centurion, she has to ask it to bring her a towel, and she says, thank you, you're very kind, and they're like, they respond to that, yeah. but only from other, uh, other Cylons. Mm. But yeah, whereas Daleks, no. Mm-mm. Daleks won't bring you a towel. <laughs> They'll well, exterminate you. It's the opposite <laughs> of the classic... Star Trek device of you can't charm Mr. Spock. Yeah. You can charm the other character, the other members of the crew, but you can't charm him. Which is weird because, not giving anything away, but the next story, Evil of the Daleks, is going to upend that. And we're going to get friendly Daleks for the first time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's every bit as weird as you think. Yeah, so it was a nice reveal that Janley was a double agent because... Mm-hmm. Well, the third page of her appearance, we're told she be, she's basically, you know, going to militia meetings or something like that. So the fact that she was double-crossing the relatives, yeah. double-crossing cross, the, Tony provided the us with wine. She was double-crossing the rebels. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, none of them were her relatives and none of them had claws. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it coming, but I wasn't trying to see it coming right. otherwise. But the false flag political plot, I thought, worked very nicely. And even then when Bregan says, well, now we have to kill them, and she says, do we have to? And he says, well, you know they're going to just come up and rebel against us. And she thinks about it for a moment and then says, yeah... You're right. I need to do this. And it's like, really? Wow. This woman who is very Lady Macbethian in her way. Yeah. Goal-oriented. Yeah, but she doesn't have any <laughs> loyalty to him in particular. No. No, no. not at all. At first, she? I thought there was uh, there was an implication that she was attracted to him because he was the most powerful. No, she uses him because he's the most powerful. Right. He's just another mean He's man. Yeah, he's just another pawn for her mm-hmm. to play but with. then he turns the tables on that yeah she, she, she's genuinely surprised that he was willing to kill her yeah and very little remorse in her final moments too. which is odd because she can be as ruthless as she wants but she doesn't expect it of someone else no there can't be someone else right. here that wants to kill everyone as much as me no <laughs> but i like that there wasn't a huge emotional display it was consistent with how the character had been portrayed to yeah. remain Relatively stoic, even Pretty at the end. Pretty neutral, like, yeah. Oh, damn it, I almost had it. What can you do? Yes, yeah. in the last moments. I'm, I thought I quoted it in my notes, because it was just a beautiful scene. In fact, there I quote a lot of things in my notes, because... Peel, the prose, yeah. Yeah, Jan Lee's death, there it is. 
on the way it's described is almost enough to make you feel sorry for the way he writes it, almost. But poor Valmar is the one you really feel the worst for. I felt that she was written as having a good self-awareness, like, ah, oh, I gave world god domination a good go, I guess. <laughs> I've lived Can't a life them that's all. full. <laughs> well, I guess I probably deserve this. What can you do? <laughs> so that's Janly for you. How about the other characters? Because these are some pretty well-written characters. Lesterton is the typical mad scientist who is only interested in his work, no matter what the cost is. Literally mad by the end. Literally mad and dead by the end. (laughs) It's hard to imagine a character who starts off with more of a bullseye on his forehead, though. (laughs) Really? Well... I mean, we just know it's going to happen. I mean, Clearly, I, I thought he'd be dead by the end of the third chapter. But. Yeah. I, I know, I was I was not expecting him to make it as far as he did. Yeah, yeah. But again, it shows the cunning and the, the trickery of the Daleks to kind of use him in their plans to get the power that they need to establish themselves so they can replicate and start building you know their army. Um, so that I think that worked out really well, how they very easily could have killed him early on. Several times. Yeah. yeah, but they're they were they were playing the long game, oh, yeah. um, as they usually do. As they usually and do. And they even have episodes called that about their long games. <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, he had some interesting uh, interactions with the doctor and with uh, with Janley as well. Just seeing him kind of interact with them and kind of ignore the warnings, even though there were bells and whistles and buzzers and lights and all this saying don't do this but he doesn't care mostly the doctor doing that don't do this Um, but you know he is so wrapped up in this new thing that he has discovered and he wants to figure it out and Mm -hmm. interesting he really embodies the the true idea of a tragic hero somebody who has a flaw that's their their a a fatal flaw something that's going to lead to their end or lead to them to better understanding of themselves he doesn't go there unfortunately no it ends up killing him but i think i think too with him he wasn't as as opposed to janley and bragan and some of the the other characters that were acting in like ruthless ways to get whatever they wanted he was more he was trying to use the daleks to help the 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 colony and he was trying to make something good out of it but um, i don't know i'd argue he is acting in ruthless ways to get what he wants but what he wants is the knowledge well but yeah. that's what the thing are. he's he's not he's not doing what he wants to get power yeah. he's not doing what he's doing to establish himself as i'm number one scientist it's yeah. more just i want these machines to help us establish this colony and use it use them to the best of their ability to help us. He's not interested in going down in history as Lesterson, the... <clears throat> the inventor or the... whatever. Yeah. You know, he... Yeah, he doesn't have much of that. You're right. You're right. There are going to be truly matter scientists coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and none of it, again, none of it seems like he's trying to necessarily screw anyone over. Mm-hmm. He he really just wants to be left to his work to figure it out, kind of like. Nor would on he his be a, got the impression particularly upset or bothered if he knew we were screwing anyone over, though. I'm not. No, I think he's a little more neutral than good. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. No, I don't think he's good, but I definitely feel like, as opposed to Janley, who is doing whatever she can to get power, and Bregan, who is killing and lying and scheming 
at every turn mm-hmm. to get what he can. Lesterton is saying, I found this thing. I want to know more about this thing. And so it's blowing up in his face, but he's still just like, he's curious about it. I think, well, I think we could characterize him as, if not neutral, then at least kind of chaotic. Yeah. (laughs) Because. Yeah, totally chaotic. Yeah. Whereas Janley is like lawful evil. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, Quinn. Mm -hmm. Poor Quinn. Poor Quinn. (laughs) Like, like, such a what a patsy idiot. from from page one. <laughs> yeah. Like amusing big handsome lug. So. Yeah. yeah, and he's that way on screen right. too. In fact, the actor who plays him has this weird kind of plumby nineteen thirties British accent. Does he have a chin cleft? I imagine him. With yes, chin cleft. Look, I, I seem to remember <laughs> one. Yeah, <clears throat> he's got those features about him, and it's like, yeah, of course you're not Governor Honey because you're not ruthless enough right you're too decent it's it's me yeah (laughs) exactly there you go i i I don't have the uh the gumption to uh yeah the most devious thing you would have done is call the examiner without anybody else yes right exactly and then you end up yeah yeah getting his burger pinned on you yeah um who what other character oh there was keeble kebble keeble kebble Kebble? Kebble? I think Kebble. Kebble. Kebble's I don't remember Is it two Bs or is it two E's? Kebbles and Bets. Either way. Kebbles and Bets? Are they giving more Kebbles and Bets? That character. I don't remember Kebble. I don't. Yeah. The it hell? Was, that was one of the, the, the characters introduced that had me confused for a minute and then he was also oh, killed. Oh, that's right. He was the one that was helping, um, what's his name, um, 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 for <laughs> the guy who's sweet on Janley. Uh, Valmar. Valmar. He was helping Valmar with communications equipment. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He um, is in the transmitted version. Um, not much there. I mean, that person is just there to do something. But even he has an interesting insight, which is, you almost had him. When talking to Polly, it's like, you almost had him on your side, didn't you? But you had to bring up Janley. Yeah. You, ha- you just had to. Um, which is a shame, because Polly is so sharp. In this story, in so many ways. Around the same part of the book, she's explaining that they just, they didn't come here on purpose, they just happened to land here. You know, and she's asked, where were you going? You're so far from any other possible destination. And she says something like, our ship really isn't very good, we just meander around. (laughs) (laughs) That was a nice moment. (laughs) Very honest moment, for sure. I really liked the transformation of the Doctor from Ben and Polly's perspective. The end of the chapter, the end of the, let's see here, second chapter, beginning of the third. Mm -hmm. The Doctor stiffened. The light pulsed over him, ebb and flow. Shadows writhed across his features, snaking in and out across his almost transparent skin. Ben could see the blue veins inside the Doctor's skull pulsing in time with beat from the huge light. With a loud cry, the Doctor fell backwards on the floor. It's the end of a chapter, chapter, sorry, one in chapter two. Ben and Polly dashed over to the prone body. The lights were pulsing like crazy now, and the heartbeat in the ship was almost deafening. The, pardon me, the heartbeat in the ship was almost deafening. Mm-hmm. It was hard for Ben to concentrate. At the back of his mind, he could feel something plucking at his mind, trying to twist it, to change it. Stop it, he yelled, falling to his knees beside the doctor. Stop it. He wasn't sure if he was addressing the doctor or the TARDIS itself. Oh, yeah. 
And I thought that was a, the description of the lights was a great way to describe both Ben and Polly's confusion and then the inexorability of the process. Yes. Something is happening. They don't know what it is, but they know they can't slow it. They can't stop mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and that they're witness to something truly remarkable happening. And it may even have a chance to affect them if they let it. But luckily it, it doesn't. There's a brilliant line from that chapter in chapter two. Um, it's during the doctor's regeneration. If he could work out how to get his mouth and larynx working, he might manage a scream or two. Well, that could come later. <laughs> <laughs> the process is presented as just being excruciatingly painful. Yeah. It's no wonder no one wants to do it. Yeah. But... um. But that's not on screen. You do have the uh, the doctor trying desperately to focus his attention and then referring to himself in third person and, you know, yeah. doing the whole Saladin thing and the yeah. recorder. Well, and that's just the, the physical process. Uh, the regenerations I've seen are usually very emotionally toiling as well because yeah. it's, you know... These, they're not themselves. They're not themselves. These companions are seeing someone that they are familiar with turn into someone they are unfamiliar with, mm-hmm. even though it's the same, but not... Yeah. And so there's there there's so much dimensionality there that, that like he calls Ben Bob Bob yeah. Ben yeah. I mean yes yeah of course Ben yeah uh, I see in your notes you have this uh, you have this line uh, Ben is talking how about how the doctor is different and he's changed and, and the doctor says I'd like to see a butterfly fit back into a chrysalis case after it spreads its wings that's David Whitaker um, and it's a brilliant line now look the doctor always wore this so if you're him it should fit now shouldn't it there that settles it. I'd like to see a butterfly fit into a chrysalis case after it spread its wings. That was a really, that's a good line. Yeah, the regenerations do get progressively more difficult. I mean, the new series has all that extra Artron energy causing problems with the TARDIS itself. But if it's linked to the TARDIS the way this story links it, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, the TARDIS, it, the more you hold it back, the more it's going to explode all over the place and destroy. It's like... Okay, uh, forgive me, fans. It, it's like not masturbating for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I knew that's so, where you were going. Yeah, sorry, Allison. I saw that look on your face. I don't. I don't even know this word you've used. <laughs> <laughs> Too young for that. Was homeschooled. <laughs> there, there's more wine, I promise. But um, <laughs> but yes, it's yeah. I wonder how Jodie Whittaker's doctor is going to. Uh, act when we first see her because she seems the most aware from the very first moment that she regenerates of who she is because the very first thing we see is her looking in a reflection of herself and saying oh brilliant because she knows that oh yes finally. yeah it's more like a quantum leap like oh, who am i this time uh, gotta find a mirror oh i like this one yeah this one's instead great. of disorientation yeah precisely yeah. can we talk about vulcan of course we can what what's the deal with Vulcan? It is complete, like Mercury. It is a complete coincidence. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Star Trek, uh, uh, Spock's planet. No, I'm just talking. The, this planet is like yeah. Why here? Why here? Why here? Mercury. Yeah, it's a mining operation, right? Yes, or, but for Mercury. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is David Whitaker's universe. 
And in David Whitaker's Doctor Who universe... There's a high demand for thermometers. There, yes, there is. Because the TARDIS, as you recall, you've read the first Dalek story by now. Possibly. Maybe not. I lent it to you. The, uh, I haven't read it yet. Okay, it's there. <laughs> yeah. uh, in David Whitaker's universe, <laughs> it's Mercury that runs the TARDIS. The fluid links are run by Mercury because supposedly it conducts whatever energy. But... But it doesn't. <laughs> But the, the, the mining colony, yeah. it's so far away from Earth. Yeah. You couldn't find another planet closer to Earth that had the things that you needed? Probably not. <laughs> I know. It's I know. Just... Repeat to yourself, it's just a show. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually I overlook these things. It, it, it is one like... of the few things you cannot account for. Yeah, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of odd. It's, you know, yes. like they asked how the... The doctor and and Polly didn't get there. How did mm-hmm. how did you get here? Oh, we were just that you whatever. How did you get here? You're yeah. really far away from Earth, and you've made a mining colony here. It would make some sense for the Daleks being there because yes. they use mercury something. Yeah, and they also use static electricity again. Yes, which is just that was so sweet. <laughs> I love Rub balloons get these, against uh, their hair. Yes, yeah. they're like I want that. Yes. But just. Yeah, just the idea of pools of mercury and them like bubbling and exploding in Polly's face. Yes. And just uh, not a fun play. Like, no. No. No, but it makes sense if it's a mining colony. It totally. makes absolutely no sense if it's meant to be a new home for somebody. Habitable. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's a lost in space no. situation where they happen to land on the planet and they were like, oh, this may work. Oh, wait. No, but it's I thought that was the whole eventually revealed premise that it's a commercial. Op- operation run by corporation there are no flags yeah. it's not a colony it's a factory right or, well no, it's a mine but, but my yeah. thing is how far away it is from earth yeah they they say that it is very 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 very, very far, far away it so it's far. like you could not find anywhere closer no nope. apparently not nope <laughs> can't that's my only thing oh i i could say so much to you about this especially there are two things about it that are just bizarre according to either fan lore or the Radio Times listings for this story or something. This story takes place in the year 2000 uh-huh. and Vulcan is actually within um, our solar system. Those are a couple of quote-unquote factoids that supposedly were established throughout the story, but there's nothing There's nothing in this story to prove either. No. No, it's not given a date, and there's no fucking way this place is in our solar system. No, no, and nor should it be. Does the 500 year diary appear in the episode? Yes, I thought that was an amusing yes, it gag. Does. It does. It is lovely. Saladin does a little bit of um, Dalek metal, and the recorder. That's ah. what the Troughton Doctor is known for. All the other doctors in my my set. Except for Hartnell and Troughton have sonic screwdrivers that come with them. <laughs> Troughton has a recorder and Hartnell has a cane. Recorders are mm. cool, Tony. I know they are. I, ha- I have yes. one. I have one. And at some point before we move on from Troughton, I'll learn how to play something on it for you. God. But that'll be the day. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm just picturing him not playing it well at all. Totally just making he, a racket. Like, 
since he's in my brain, since I'm not familiar with this doctor at all, mm-hmm. I'm and he's very much a clown to me, mm-hmm. I'm picturing him just, like, making a ton of noise, and it does not sound good to anyone. <laughs> and that is, like... I imagined it as well. They yeah, it's, like, it's a comedic effect. It's yeah. totally just, like, what is he doing? Well, What is he doing? Bear in mind that recorders don't sound good even when you play them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 yeah, that's, what, that's kind of what I was getting out of. It's, yeah. it's totally just, like, a tinkering thing it's a pastime of thinking yes um and he almost takes it out of the rebel meeting yes i love yes. that part that's not on Can't screen see a tune. yes <laughs> ben's almost looking i'm like oh. and he makes fun no i wasn't all oh, right that. No. i was just checking on it yeah. <laughs> just have i agree with dalton and ice sparkle doesn't seem the quite quite the right word to go with his face but the hartnell doctor's insults were always well his jokes were always written as insults, always right. passive aggressive or backhanded or something. And this doctor seems is written in this book as um, if he makes jokes that are a little bit cruel, he doesn't really mean them that way. Right. They've he, he seems seems to have less of a harsh edge. Yeah, he as does. written here, and he I thought does. it was a good communication of continuity of certain parts of personality and being, but a new sort of persona and demeanor. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. The Daleks themselves, I mean, I can't remember. I know the two of you read, well, no, Dalton, you read Dalek Invasion of Earth. Mm-hmm. And you read The Chase. We all read The Chase. Yes. And Correct. you read Dal- um, the Dalek Master Plan with me. Correct. How do you feel about the way they're depicted here? Because it's very different. Well, I kind of talked about it earlier. Just usually they are in a position of power. They are in a position of, they have the element of surprise. They have all that. It, in in this book, with them being basically dead, mm-hmm. underpowered in stasis, um, seeing them kind of, seeing the Daleks have to problem solve mm-hmm. yeah. in a different way yes. is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, seeing seeing them play dumb. Yeah, now that the scientists realize that they can store power, not just receive it directly. And it and it really, I guess, it does show. I don't want to pun be punny, but it really does show the power of the Daleks. It shows how how they have become so you know ruthless in in their just how they are able to do what they do. Mm-hmm. How they are so powerful. They yeah. they really do have a, a really strong grasp how to get what they want Mm -hmm. they they are it's as as much as the doctor is always like a step ahead Mm -hmm. of and a step behind they're the same way they're always calculating and figuring and um you know problem solving exactly well and is ben is wondering if the doctor is a benevolent imposter as whoever this person is a doctor or not is portraying the examiner, or if he's a malevolent imposter, um, what Ben and Polly don't realize is that the better parallel is the Daleks who have been truly dormant. Yes. They aren't just pretending. They aren't just playing dead. They've really been dormant mm-hmm. as they rediscover who they are slowly. They have continuity of who they are and what they are, but they, like the Doctor, having to remember that and rebuild slowly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Ben and Polly are kind of looking at the wrong analogies here. Agreed. The 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 of the Daleks is the true analogy. Obviously, the Doctor's not becoming you know newly evil, right? But <laughs> but slowly building up to his previous self, but in a new version. Yeah, as they are. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's exactly it, because in the course of those six episodes, they're getting slowly more and more powerful, and the Doctor, who initially is just kind of like a waving lunatic, is getting more and more into himself and figuring out how he's going to do it. But the... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it reminded me at at one of the last... I think it was probably in the epilogue. Um, I don't remember if it was Ben or Polly. But they're, Polly. They, they, did you mean to you, do all this? You this knew what you were up to, <laughs> Well, I mean, I didn't expect the brass bands to be playing, but I wouldn't have thought of thank you to about anybody. But Ben, think of all those poor people all killed. Yeah, I know. But the doctor saved the colony from being completely wiped out. Mm. Yeah, and he was telling them all along, but would they listen? Mind you, he wasn't very convincing when he was trying to explain it to Valmar and Quinn and everybody. No, he wasn't, was he? Doctor, you did know what you were doing, didn't you? <laughs> you knew what you were doing, didn't you, Doctor? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, of course. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like always. That is the Troughton Doctor all over. He's the great improviser. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can see Matt Smith all over mm-hmm. because yeah. Matt Smith watched Tomb of the Cybermen. That was the first Doctor Who story he'd watched since yeah. he was young. And he adored Troughton so much that he modeled his performance yeah. after Troughton. Yeah. It's, it's fun, but it's serious at the same time. Exactly. And it allows it to, um, you know, it has a weight to it. Like we were saying earlier, there are lots of deaths in here, and there's a lot of heavy stuff going on. But within that, you're allowed to kind of have fun with it and realize that this is just fiction. This is just someone having fun with science fiction and with with writing a a really good story. Oh, yeah. Even even though Lesterson's Descent into Madness... I think it's one of the creepiest things ever to happen in a Dalek story that doesn't happen to somebody that just gets killed outright. Because it's like, oh my God, he ends up with a case of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. You know, he's like, they're, they're better than us. They've been planning this the whole time. They can read your mind. And they've been reproducing this whole time. They will be the ones who take over this planet eventually and we will serve them. Yeah. And he even says to the Dalek before he kills him, I am your servant. And you're like, oh my yeah. God. And I think that too kind of uh, mirrors maybe his own realization that, oh my God, the doctor told me this all along and yes. I didn't listen and here we are. And he's like, it's like this grand epiphany of it's been in front of me all along. Yes. And then he becomes the doctor for a little bit and says, we've got to stop them. And Janley and Brigham both are like, you need to rest. You need to sit down. Yeah. You need to, you need a pill. <laughs> and all the pills. he says, why is no one listening to me? And it's the exact parallel of the doctor having said the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. And to say how much of it is Whitaker and how much is Peel, I, yeah, they're pretty much inseparable. They really are. Was there a part at the beginning where there was a Dalek not in his casing? Yes. End of episode one. Uh, so that's going to be towards end, end of chapter six or something. That to me was kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what's scuttling off in the dark at the beat of the scares the hell out of Polly. So they yeah. introduced yeah. that idea on the episode that early on. Yeah, I thought that was something. Oh, it's in the very it first from story. the new series. It, okay, it it was in um, 
whenever they they meet up with Lesterson, I think, and they're talking to him, and then they're they cut to the perspective of the Dalek watching their conversation, and he's right. in the shadows, kind of. The Dalek is watching them talk about, and he's kind of formulating. Oh, oh! I didn't realize it was that Dalek that was in the shadows. It might be though. I don't know which Dalek so, it that's... was, but either way, it was. Well, here's the thing: when the Dalek is out of its casing, well, new series they have that big, huge eye now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they didn't yeah. used to. They were essentially blind and unable to, you know, figure their way out. They need the casing in yeah. order to an, interact with their environment. Yeah. Else, else they go into a homicidal rage and they kill any living thing that's nearby them or t- that they try to. Usually by strangling. Yeah. Because that's all tentacles. they can do. Yeah, exactly. But um, that would be very interesting. That's I, I need to go back and look at it, but that's how I was taking it was that it was a Dalek that was not in its casing okay. that was basically had subsisted somehow in in the capsule. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, it was just like this this little bit of creepy kind of uh, foreshadowing at the beginning of the book of, oh man, this thing is yeah. this thing should be dead. It's not in its casing. It's not like had anything. To, to, eat. <laughs> to eat, to live on, yeah. to do, but it's it totally is in the shadows, yeah. formulating a plan. They really can't survive outside <laughs> their casing, so I'm wondering what's what what is going on there. But I could just see a Dalek still trying to figure out. You know, there are people, there are things that are different from me outside this casing. I, I've got to kill them as soon as I get hold of a gun. Yeah, because <laughs> that's definitely the Daleks all over. Now, while you're figuring that out, yeah, Ben and Polly, what do we think of them in this one? Because uh, they've really, I I didn't think, I, I don't like them as much as um, Ian and Barbara, but they're certainly a nice double act. You don't like them as much overall as characters? You don't like them as much in this particular story? As much as Ian and Barbara <clears throat> together, but I, I find them to be a <clears throat> really nice double act and peel draws them beautifully they're allowed to have a lot more fun than ian and barbara are ian and barbara are constantly being insulted (laughs) it seemed like and sort of verbally smacked down and (laughs) discouraged and felt like they're being treated in a childlike way even though they're teachers and adults so i think i feel like ben and polly are allowed to Mm -hmm. allowed to be more clever without being rebuked for it allowed to have some fun yeah, yeah. It's a darker story for them because they're so confused about what's going on and whether or not they can trust really the doctor. But It's very... <clears throat> they're my favorite companion so far, actually, which surprised really? me. Yeah. Okay, terrific. Because in Chapter 13, the doctor has some uh, <clears throat> reflections on them. I always felt that Ian and Barbara were about to become really interesting in a way that the characters themselves seemed more interesting than they were allowed to be in the stories. Right, yeah, that's true. And some of uh, the uh, original fiction does that for them. But he has this passage in chapter 13. Uh, The Doctor could see why his previous self had decided that Ben would be an admirable companion. Once he was on the scent of trouble, there was absolutely no sidetracking him. So it's interesting to have that double consciousness. He admires Ben both as himself and as himself Mm. but his previous self and he feels the same way about uh 
He feels the same way about Polly, and I wondered if this was a, uh, a stepping on the, um, how did you put it last time? Stepping on the uh, uterus? <laughs> Stomping the ovaries. That's Jenny's line. That's yes. Jenny's line. Her intuition had kicked into high gear. The doctor respected this, knowing it was not the titter behind the hand sort of thing most people assumed it to be. Mm. So it's not the doctor being uh, sexist there. It's him saying, no, Polly is indeed extremely... Uh, strong-willed and everything else. Speaking of which, just so you know, you will notice that Polly gets kidnapped for a little while and then Ben goes away for a little while. They had vacations. (laughs) Every time. Yeah, so that's why they disappear for Could have been different. It could have been a contract dispute. Nah, not this time. Not this early on. Um, But yeah. I must have just misread it. It does look like it's not. It, it, it's still in its. It does appear that it's still in its casing. Okay. But I, when I first read it, I was reading it as it was not that it, it had. Because they say that there were three Daleks, but then one is in the shadows watching. There, yeah, yeah. Well, there were two in the capsule, and there then were two. there was there was the. So maybe space where I was misreading was. it as the one. That was in the secondary room. Possibly. That's probably what it was. That might be it. Either way, creepy Dalek watching, formulating plan. Yeah. Oh yeah, creepy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have to say, I, I do love the prose. I was quoting lines backward and forward, especially in oh chapter thirteen. There is the strongest paragraph, and the whole book starts with. Where is it? There were only three things he was absolutely certain of at this moment. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Top of 106. It's it's Ben, actually. Because the Dalek comes in and the Doctor's backing off from it. Ben stared from the Doctor to the Dalek, instinctively moving to protect Polly. From what? He wasn't sure. There were only three things he was absolutely certain of at this moment. The first was that the doctor had been correct. This Dalek was a menace of incalculable extent. The second was that Lesterson had to be one of the biggest fools in the entire universe. The third, it recognized him, Ben whispered to Polly. The Dalek, it recognized the doctor. Yeah, which has led people to say, how did the Dalek recognize... (coughs) Peel has a theory for that, and I, I'm not even going to go into it just now, but there's a reason it. why. No, 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 um, go into it. Mainly because I can't remember it. I can't remember <laughs> if I'm misremembering it. I, I seem to recall it's something along the lines of the Daleks in this capsule are from evil of the Daleks. Maybe. Okay. Or they're from one of his later books, and they're thrown backward in time. So they know the Doctor's previous faces. Hmm. So that might be it. In story, it was a nice piece of evidence <coughs> for Ben especially. To yeah. think, oh, it probably is a Doctor. Mm-hmm. And the innovations of giving the Daleks uh, infrared vision, which they have in later stories, but for some reason in these early ones they don't. Yeah, it works quite well. Yeah, yeah I love that bit at the end um, after they had killed, I think, Janley, and they came in and they were kind of 
giving a sweep of everyone and they could still see a little bit of the the warmth of the dead bodies and they're yes. like they're yes. they're freshly dead yes. that's why we're still yeah. reading heat signatures and that's how the doctor and whoever is with him is able to hide among yeah. the bodies because like oh yeah. they just were shot a few minutes yeah. ago yeah. so they're still cooling they're still fresh yeah. it's like only <laughs> a dog would think that pretty way. dark yeah. plot point yes yeah extremely Oh, just wait till Remembrance of the Daleks. Christ. Because that's not Peel. That's Benaronovich. And he imagines the Daleks, who at that point are having a civil war, fucking each other's shit up. There's no other way of putting it. It's like, holy cow. The Doctor barely knows how to kill Daleks in the most efficient ways, but what if you have other Daleks that know how to hack your systems? Ooh. Yeah, that's fun times. Yeah. <laughs> What else? Any last thoughts? Any um, bits that you... Should have kept better notes on jokes throughout. There are some really amusing ones there. Oh my god, there were. You saw the doctor with a plier. I think he was just plucking his eyebrows. And some nice nice visual gags like that. The doctor uncoiled himself from the lotus position and leaped to his feet. His lithe actions were marred when he almost fell over as he stood on a trailing shoelace. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty lively for what's mostly a political and science story on one base yes it, it's surprisingly engrossing and lively for its length and the limited nature of the setting and cast of characters yeah and you would think when danny and i went to see this um in the theater and we watched all six parts back to back to back to back to the back animation. yeah i thought he was going to get bored through it and I, you know, kept looking over to see if he was falling asleep or whatever. <laughs> and at the very end of it, he turned to me and he was like, my God, that was good. It's like, that, that tells yeah. you something. Yeah. The pacing is really nice. Yeah. It, it, even, even the slower parts, there's enough going on to where you feel like it's building to something. It, it doesn't feel extraneous. Easily could have been interminable. Yeah. Even, even my brother-in-law, a couple of Christmases ago, it was airing on BBC America. And we caught halfway through the first episode. And I was going to turn the television and because I know that they really don't like Doctor Who. And Sam so was like, no, oh, no, keep that on. Yeah. And he was like, how many more of these are there? And I was like, five. And he said, oh, okay. Oh. And we watched the whole thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it Very keeps good. the attention. Oh, here's a joke. Here we go. The doctor's mind also returned to the subject that was causing him the most concern. Ben, if you were a Dalek, what would your next move be? What about Polly, Ben insisted. Polly? The doctor shook his head. No, she's a bright girl, but I don't think she could predict. (laughs) (laughs) Just brilliant moments. Shall I bring liquid for your visitors? Oh, yes. The the Dalek server. Yes. So funny. So funny. I really enjoyed the, the doctor using... Uh, the glass of water to escape from the cell they were in. Yes. To act by activating the sonic, the sonic, whatever. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting. I almost thought, and I think Peel missed a trick here. I almost thought that the the doctor at that moment was going to say, Hmm, using sound to unlock locks. I really need something I can carry around like this, I didn't expect like a sonic like screwdriver, that, yeah. because it is the second Doctor who ends up with the sonic screw. It was going to be a little bit on the nose. It was nice restraint. To not yeah, that's yeah. true because there could have been so many other things that could but have I, been included. I love them, um, like the Doctor figuring out what he's going to do, and then whenever the guard comes in the room, 
when just throwing the water in the guard's face as a, a means to distract <laughs> yes. him and, and you know escaping it's it's a little uh you know brain and brawn oh yeah oh yeah much Absolutely. like our crew here yes much like our crew here true I, there was, I feel like there was a really good line, and I can't remember. It was. Near Do you remember what the uh, context was? <sighs> no, I just <laughs> I remember reading it and thinking that's really funny. Um, Which is probably why it took us all three of us so long to read this, because it's not just a matter of there being so much more to read. I mean, this is double the length of a typical Target book, but also it's much denser in the amount of sheer fun to be had i find yeah even the the other books we read is cotton that's true (laughs) that's well we had trouble keeping on board with cotton too i was gonna say it's trying to just savor it it's getting there cotton has more zaniness per square inch that is true oh god is that ever true cotton cotton (laughs) cotton edges this in ways that i enjoyed yeah but this is still pretty dense and pretty packed full Mm. of this is... Even even William M's come to think of it. By the way, I found that uh, Find Your Own Adventure Doctor Who book that he did finally. Ah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, interesting. Finally, we get to read some more um, William M's Doctor Who. Interesting. The Doctor's last line is something about. I think Polly says, "Let's get a let's have a warm beach next." And Ben says, no, let's have England. And the doctor says, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And of course, where do they end up next? Scotland. <laughs> of course. I thought it was interesting that Polly says at some point that this is her first time walking anywhere that, other than on the surface of the earth. But I yeah. thought in the last novelization we read, uh, there was a description of what they're doing when things go right. That they go to planets that are uninhabited and collect samples, and Ben finds it terribly boring and wants to go on vacation. Yeah. Um, That's the difference of opinion between two writers with the same I was going to ask, yes, which one was sort of the standard explanation of what they're usually doing. Well, given that none of these books is ever considered canon, they could exist comfortably side by side that way. However, we do know that there have been other Ben and Polly Hartnell books and Ben and Polly Troughton books because he's about to get a new companion yeah. I, f- I found the thing that i was uh, thinking about yeah um, so as as the doctor is trying to finally deal with the daleks they are uh he's fiddling with the wires on the generator ben couldn't stand it anymore do you know what you're doing he asked the doctor looked offended of course i do really ben asked skeptically as the doctor wired in the cable to the box he added why don't you just pull off all the plugs and cut off the power? Because, the doctor said, miffed, I prefer to do things my way. <laughs> it's like, you don't know what you're doing. You're just fiddling. But I'm doing, doing it distinctively. It's my way. Yes. Exactly. It's the doctor's way, yeah. and it's going to work, damn it. I just, I just love that. It's, it's that same kind of hubris and uh, just, uh, I, I got it. I yeah. got it. Just, and we've seen that with the Hartnell Doctor yeah, too, except he'd probably bitch at him. More. But the Hartnell Doctor would say, "I'm going to do it the right way." He's <laughs> yeah, not exactly. quite self-aware enough to say, "I'm going to do it my way, even if it's wrong." <laughs> right. I just, I just love that though. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. The the Troughton Doctor seems to have a little more self-awareness, which is a lovely thing for the Doctor to have. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was just it's just fun because yeah he doesn't he's 
he's not sure it's going to work. He's just right. trying to figure it out. And, you know, the machine doesn't work initially. And then it's because the power's not on. Oh, okay. Whoops. But, yeah. I knew I there just, was something I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm, this is a sign of somebody who also writes other forms of science fiction. Peel gives us a nice bit of real science, usually ignored in traditional Doctor Who. Uh, the chances of an alien bacteria actually being able to infect a human being were incredibly remote. Yeah. Most germs were terribly fussy about who and what they infected. <laughs> it's like, yeah, true. Yeah, so you're not going to get any uh, alien plagues in, in Peel books until, of course, they're there. As we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers, then follow up with our own ratings, by the way. If you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured, when we get to an upcoming book, simply read the book, write a review on Goodreads, and then write a comment somewhere or send us a message so that we have a chance to see it. You may just get your review read out loud here. And by the way, this is happening for the first time tonight. You're regenerating. No. And we'll wonder if you're the real Tony or an imposter. You're very bad at pronoun references, aren't you? I am. <laughs> what I meant by <laughs> this is happening for the first time tonight is we're getting somebody who has written a review on Goodreads and we're going to read it. Oh it's my been God. a long week, ladies and gentlemen. It's called a pronoun antecedent. <laughs> Learn what it is. All right. Me, me, average... me, I'm an English professor. <laughs> oh, shut up, you. The average rating for this out... Oh, shit. The average rating for this story out of this five stars so perfect now. is 4.08. <laughs> this is pretty high. Far higher than Allison's rating at the moment. Oh. We, in fact, have Super not had... Hard. Well, I try. We, in fact, have not had a book this highly rated since Crusaders. Oh. And even that rating was for the original 60s edition and not for the Target printing, weirdly enough. Here's some sample reviews. John Arnold gives it four stars. He says the novelization of Troughton's first story is a longer affair than usual. As it came out in the era when Virgin were only publishing full-length novels and were therefore willing to allow the story more space. As such, it's a period piece. With Peel adding continuity flourishes to retroactively fit the story into the Doctor Who universe. Sometimes this works such as having the Vulcan colony become an IMC one, explaining the mixture of high and ultra-low tech. Often it doesn't, such as in the continuity-heavy prologue, which simply sets up a few later lines about space travel being founded on Cyberman technology. The extra space does allow the characters to be more fully realized and allows the additional slow burn to the story, with tension gradually rising until the situation explodes. It's probably the best of Peel's Dalek novelizations, but that might be to do as much with the strength of the original story as much as his talent, which is true. I mean, Whitaker's script is, yeah, amazing. You look cold. Oh, I'm fine. Are you cold? Okay. I'm fine. Okay. I, well, yes, but it's God's fault, not yours. So. Okay. No, for <laughs> once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> oh, no, lightning bolt. And Eric blows the average by giving it three stars, and he seems to be the minority opinion. This is a long adventure. The tapes, a uh, lost adventure. The tapes were wiped and lost as the majority of 60s Doctor Who, so it's great to see a story you can't see. However, it is long. The reason it was a six-part story, but the story is not able to support it. So there are plenty of filler scenes everywhere. I don't get that at all. I don't remember a single filler scene. 
This would have been better as a shorter book, like the old Target novelizations. They were limited to about 180 pages. Sorry, sweetie, it's 126 or 146, not 180. That would have been long for a Target. Um, and so a long, out, drawn-out story needs to be trimmed. This makes a story like this so much better paced. A good example of this is Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Colony in Space, the book titled uh, Doomsday Weapon and the Armageddon Factor all have good core stories but are just too long and lead to boredom. But the short novels are breezy and exciting, such as Planet of Giants. That breezy Dalek story. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. It's a beach <laughs> book, guys. <laughs> the Daleks rushing through your hair. Yes. <laughs> It's a fun read. It's a fast read. Yes, exactly. I didn't say that once. You did not. You did not. Giving myself a pat on the back. You should. And finally, our own Ron Scheiding, who redid our banners, gave it four stars. I'm only going to read part of his in-depth review because it was it was quite long. Um, Power of the Daleks feels like it shouldn't be a great story. It's stretched beyond breaking point in places and dawdles in jail cells that are escaped from and promptly returned to. You get corridor-walking images galore, and the entire colony is represented by about a half-dozen rooms and fewer characters. However, these limitations are nothing new to Doctor Who, and this episode has something that was about as new as you could get at the time, the first regeneration. The book also has one of the Target Collection's best authors who cared enough to seek out the original screenplay changes, hastily adapted to Troughton having been cast, and incorporate material beyond what made it to the screen. Another huge point in its favor is that it was virtually the last Target adaptation, and amazing fan Easter eggs are placed throughout. We start with a nice lengthy scene from the end of The Tenth Planet, Hartnell's Doctor is dying, there are corpses of Cybermen everywhere, and their organic components are starting to stink. I can't remember any other references to the stink of dead Cybermen my 35-odd years as a Doctor Who fan. I think I can. I think there was one in the uh, Attack of the Cybermen. And it makes perfect sense and is a great atmospheric bit of horror. Later on, you get a whiff of dead Dalek, too. Peel <laughs> apparently believes in engaging your senses. Uh-huh. Ben's pretty great throughout the book. Um... I'm still in search of Polly's character or identity. So far, we know she's pretty. This forms the basis of most of her interactions, sadly, and that she seems to have a social acuity that allows her to identify who's trustworthy, which is something, at least. Uh, While ID badges have been and would continue to be plot devices, the use of the badge in this story long predates the new series Psychic Paper, but it feels very much like a prediction of its future incorporation. Peel also constructs a scene with a shadowy figure who leads the rebels who are in control of the Daleks. He lets us sit across the room from the mystery figure for a page or so. The figure is in the dark, seated with only his right arm shown. This is a teasing, this teasing reference to Davros rings loud and clear, though we know it can't be him. Beliefs is suspended for a moment of confusion or two. That's a good point. They're all good points. So, opinions out of five stars, what would you give this, Allison? I mean, when you describe it, it sounds like grinding misery. They, uh, you know, <laughs> crash land on, uh, well, I say always crash land. It's like the savage land. If you survive the crash, you should be okay. Uh, yeah, crash land on a mining colony with political dispute and dormant Daleks. But it has a very nice brio, and I it was a lively story, and I enjoyed it, and I give it a three, which for me is very high. Very high, so. yes. My goodness, that's high praise. All and right. it, it felt very fresh and modern. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it felt like it, it bridged, 
it felt like it bridged the old and new series in a way it in a way that was respectful but not just fan service. Yeah, I agree. It, it felt very natural and organic. Yeah, and we're going to get that yeah. again in Evil, and we'll also get it when we get the uh, newer Tom Baker novelizations. Um, Dalton. Um, um, I think I'm going to go with four point five out of five Ooh, for this, wow. which is, you know. For me not to say that it was a beach book or an easy read, that, yeah. Um, no, I really I really enjoyed this. I, Like I said, I cannot wait to see how this doctor um, progresses, mm-hmm. how, how he's going to interact with peril, mm-hmm. you know, um, and still be this kind of, uh, what did you call him earlier? A space uh, hobo? Cosmic hobo. Cosmic hobo. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just fun. Like I, I did not expect it to a story about Daleks to be that fun. Yeah, or to have so much fun in it. I should say because not all of it is fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just uh, John Peel's writing is is really excellent. The characterizations, the the interactions between the characters, the Daleks themselves. Um, this this book has a lot going for it. Um, you know, so yeah, okay. I would I would say this is. If you haven't read any of the other books, this is probably a good one to read if you're... Yeah, yeah I'd say so too. Yeah. And as for me, I have to say, um, in our interview, John said that his primary influence for writing was David Whitaker, those original books from the 1960s that he said he read and reread like crazy because they were only Doctor Who fiction he could get hold of. Much different feel than Whitaker, though. Oh, yeah. Definitely much different feel, but... By the same token, it's the same sort of feeling that Whitaker brings to a story in that he expands it, makes it stronger, makes it his own in some ways. This is still very much Whitaker's story, but having read The Chase and Dalek Master Plan now, we know Peel's general style, and we know that he's not a bad writer at all, Mm -hmm. and he loves his Daleks and does quite well with them. And this one is probably the pinnacle of Doctor Who Dalek stories. This is considered by some to be the best Dalek story ever. That isn't to sell evil short. It's just that evil evil is seven episodes, and there are times that it feels like it. This is six episodes. It whips by. Yeah. Absolutely whips by. And a lot of that is because of uh, Peel's prose. Um, there is one bit, speaking of alliteration, that is missing from this book, which I wish he had kept in it. The doctor says at one point that he wants to make Les just listen. And then he says, Les just listen, Les just listen. Oh, that's quite interesting. And it kind of exercises the tongue. You should try it. And Polly starts doing it, and they're doing it back and forth to each other's <laughs> face while Ben is just like, Will you two shut just up? Stop it. And it's just hilarious. Would Les just listen? It's not on the page, unfortunately, because it would be hard to communicate, but it's moments like that and the fact that I don't miss it being in this book because the book actually gives so much more there's, to that. There's so yeah, like when you have so much to choose from yeah. as a gag or as a comedic relief, 
even without it, you're not missing it because no. there's so much more there to sink your teeth into. Yes, which is why I agree with you totally. 4.5 <laughs> out of 5 stars. Well, thank you guys. And thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time, we welcome another podcaster in a guest role. J.G. McQuarrie from the Talking Who Do You podcast is going to be joining Jenny and me and possibly Dalton. Maybe. Maybe, if we're lucky, (laughs) for a discussion of the Highlanders. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, all one word with no spaces. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at www.reddit.com. Slightly marred, slightly vandalized. Yeah, it's got a few comments. Uh, forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Also, feel free to watch videos of our first 12 episodes and give us a thumbs up or comment on YouTube. That's at forward slash user forward slash emperor.org forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter, we're at DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcaster of your choice. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and if you Google Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, you will find that we are on podcast providers high and low. I found this on a Norwegian podcast site, a Spanish podcast site, a French one. I am so pumped. And we have (laughs) another review on iTunes. Fantastic. Which is just amazing. So thank you. Please, if you like this program or you don't like it, please let us know. If all else fails you, email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. not here so we can listen to it later (laughs) my what a handsome devil